1: Welcome to episode 219 of Positively Trek. My name is Barry DeFord, and I am joined by my co-host of this lovely podcast, Mr. Dan Gunther. How you doing, Dan?
2: Hey, Barry. Not too bad. Uh, excited, of course, as always, to talk Trek. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting one because it's been a little bit of a slow Trek news week, but we've uh, got some a few things to talk about. I think definitely, um, there was actually another another piece
1: to the news that I just realized. And you know, talking positively Trek and everything, um, there's another little news feature I'm gonna add to it that I've just realized that I I should have brought up in the pre-recording, but we ended up talking about a bunch of stuff. So <laughs> it's been a it's been a week nonetheless. I don't know. Are you, uh, are you feeling good about, um, the possibility of, uh, of, of what the Lower Decks finale will bring? I haven't seen it myself and depending on when this releases, I don't know if it'll be out yet mm-hmm. or if it is out.
2: Well, it is, uh, it will be, uh, coming out a couple days after, or actually, sorry, the day after this episode drops, we are getting hmm. the, uh, Lower Decks season four finale season three finale. I'm getting ahead of myself there. Wow. Um, (laughs) and of course on that same day, we'll drop episode 11 of Star Trek Prodigy. So, uh, yeah, a couple things to look forward to this week. Yeah. Very excited. I think they set up some interesting stuff for the finale for Lower Decks. Excited. We know the title it's called the stars at night which makes sense given what we learned in the previous episode oddly enough that just makes me think of the Pee-wee herman scene Pee-wee's big adventure where he's in texas and he's on the phone
1: My grandma. hello daddy it's me peewee well, where are you calling from texas where honest
3: listen i'll prove it
2: the stars at night are big and bright the,
1: <laughs> the only thing I ever think of now, whenever I think of Pee Wee Herman, is Large Marge. She <laughs> yes. scared me more than anything <laughs> which <she>, that that <laughs> transformation just to this day I won't watch it. it it petrifies me. Oh wow. Now I have to say I have to say not necessarily in the same vein I've never been petrified like that but uh, that's the topic of today. We're going to be talking some some horror genre Star Trek. And Star Trek does do horror and it doesn't mm-hmm. do it terribly bad. I would say they do better, you know, kind of space exploration-y, strange new world stuff. But when they want to get freaky, they definitely, uh, have the ability to do it. So I think we can, uh, we can have a good conversation about that in light of the fact that, uh, we are approaching Halloween very, very quickly. Yeah. Are you going to dress up?
2: Well, we did actually have a little, uh, Halloween party just this past weekend, uh, which, uh, I was able to make it to, and it was after work that I had to go to the party. So I had to make it simple I do have a Starfleet medical tunic the um, or, or sciences slash medical from the Star Trek Picard season one Starfleet uniforms. I couldn't find the right badge. I have it somewhere and I couldn't find it. So I had to slap a Lower Decks badge on there and I just wore it with my jeans because I came from work. So it was low effort, but I, I at least wore something.
1: I gotta say I have the 1960s Command
2: um, mm. Captain's
1: uniform, so basically Kirk's outfit from. Yeah. I have the season three onward, so it's definitely kind of more of that mustardy color. Yeah, but that with a pair of jeans ain't bad. Yeah, so you know, like to be honest, and the fact that you threw a lower decks badge on there does sort of fit. I would say, <laughs> in the sense, you're like, eh, I'm in uniform. What do you want, boss? <laughs> kind of thing. So I appreciate that. That's a good little MacGyver moment.
2: Yeah, I did throw there. There's three pips on it. I did consider taking two off so I could be like oh I'm an ensign that's why the lower decks but eh, uh, I didn't want to be less than a commander what can I say
1: I can understand that I wouldn't I wouldn't go lower than a commander though I do want to get because um, I do have a a Voyager era Star Trek uniform and I did have a, a Picard or um, a TNG one from back in the day but eh, it's 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 had its time mm. they, they do fall apart eventually I guess yeah but uh, I want to get one of the little black Pips on the inside, so I can be like a lieutenant commander or something like that. I
2: love lieutenant commander. Even just like visually, it's it's striking. I like that it's a little different. You know that hollow pip can really make an ensemble come together.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it it builds. It builds. I like it so much. Like captain for four pips, great. That's all wonderful. But anyways, Mm -hmm. we digress. I look forward to wearing my costume on Halloween, and I feel bad though. A lot of my my fellow staff members will often remark to me like. Oh, hey, we should do like a, a, a staff. Everyone wear the same uniform. Like, oh, hey, we're all going to do 101 Dalmatians or something like that. And every year, I'm always that guy who's like, no, I'm wearing my Star Trek uniform. <laughs> and they're like, come on, Barry. And I'm like, no, I paid really good money for this thing. So no. <laughs>
2: hmm yeah, no, I get that. You know, uh, you, those uniforms look sharp, you know? we They do. There are very few times where it's socially acceptable to wear a Starfleet uniform out in public, just in the general population. So when Halloween comes around, you've got to take advantage of that time. You've got, you, there's no other, no other option, I think.
1: I've literally got out and re-batteried. Ugh my uh my communicator very nice <laughs> <laughs> anyways let's get on to the rest of the news here i had to jump in on the lower decks uh finale chat there but um what else do we got in the news uh do you see there mr dan
2: well we do have a a paramount plus announcement of their launch dates for a few countries france germany switzerland and austria this is something that's come up a few times over the course of the podcast we do have a lot of international listeners of course and paramount plus is rolling out worldwide all the trek is conglomerating And uh, yeah, so December we'll see Paramount Plus launching in those four countries, which uh, means that that's where they'll be able to find, you know, Strange New Worlds and Prodigy and Discovery and uh, Picard, all of those shows. So I I think a little slower than some people have liked, but that rollout does continue, so...
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting how long it's taking in certain places and sort of that uneven order of things. I remember mm. back in the day when Canada wasn't going to get, I think it was Discovery uh, at the same time as the States, and basically there was just such an uproar <laughs> that wow. uh, they just switched it. I do think to some degree that this will kind of hopefully put everything in one place, which is nice, but... At the same time there's news also coming up that kind of contradicts that <laughs> but yeah. we'll get there in, we'll get there in a sec I, I just have to say like reading this the only thing that really kind of came to mind this is a fine a fine article but I wonder if like do they put like an Australian accent on like all the the actors down there do they, like I know they like dub <laughs> for for German and for French but do they do they put that kind of like captainton's <laughs> star date, <laughs> you know like I don't know <laughs> That's a good question. Klingons had a bunch of riser plates, uh, yeah. anyways. Um. Yeah, just
2: change up some of the slang and, and stuff. Um, actually, I just recently learned that reminds me. Uh, you know the whole Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone versus Philosopher's Stone debacle. Right. Um, I just apparently learned that the U.S. version of that book and a and I think a couple others in the series. It wasn't limited to just the title. They actually Americanized some of the language in the books. So like mm-hmm. jumpers became sweaters and, and and stuff like that. I had no idea. That blew my mind.
1: Yeah. He took a draft of the of the potion. They would have said a drink in the American version wow. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's funny because I I have had kids who have read Harry Potter in in the classroom and stuff like that, and they'll they'll say, "He took a drought." What's a drought? And I'm like, "It's a draft." And they're like, "Still isn't helping." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, a draft means a drink." And they're like, "Why did not they just say drink?" And I'm like, "England, because cause England they yeah like they don't call like ballpoint pens for our English listeners. I know what you call them. You call them biros, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the weirdest name for anything ever."
2: <laughs> To me, that kind of blows my mind because I've learned so many of these little things from reading books as a young person and being exposed to different ways of saying things and, and looking at things. And I think that's important. So that kind of blew my mind. I didn't realize that that was so they they went to that much effort to americanize some of that stuff well i mean
1: i guess talking thinking of like quote unquote uh cultural protectionism and i i don't know if this is the time or place to be into this conversation on settler colonialism but uh, i think more than anything um Cultural protectionism really isn't something outside of what we would see in other places, like the CRTC in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, the the lengths that they would go to in that sense. I guess, though, maybe like, wow, really. Not terribly jarring, especially, you know, if you were looking at, um, you know, kids who might not necessarily have that kind of vocabulary and may not have the same, there could be a resiliency issue there or something. Um, it does make it a little more accessible, but what Mm -hmm. I would hope for is your, your kids who were, you know, avid readers and wanted to look into it more that they could potentially read the English version as in from England and, uh, at least be able to kind of, you know, reflect on the comparative differences and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess to bring it back to the original, uh, discussion, I, yeah, I, I don't imagine that the Australian or, or British version would change some of the language in a Star Trek episode, but it's an interesting thing to, to think about. <laughs> here,
1: here I went from like wanting to wonder what a Klingon sounds like if he was from like Queensland and then <laughs> we're like meaningful conversation about the concept of learning in children and literacy. Anyway, back to Klingons going, "Oi, i mighty. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> anyways. Uh, also, apologies for the terrible Australian accent. I don't make any bones. I am not a good uh, accent guy <laughs> when it comes to Australia. So I know we just literally said that isn't it great that Star Trek is all kind of conglomerating into one place. Psych. Uh, apparently, the TOS and TNG Star Trek movies are now going to be streaming on HBO Max starting in November. So if you're one of our American friends... Um, I guess you're bouncing around
2: again. I don't know what to say other than
1: <laughs> good gravy, when will this stop?
2: <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous because yeah, the beginning of this month, the beginning of October, uh the first 10 Star Trek films left Paramount Plus much to the right. the chagrin and annoyance of many a Star Trek fan in the US. Uh and yeah, now they're they're they've resurfaced or they're going to resurface. They're popping up on HBO Max. So <laughs> you got to chase it's it's like it's like we're con chasing the Enterprise. Like she tasks me. He tasks me and I shall have him. And, oh they're there. They're over on HBO Max. Okay. Or and I love
1: the end of the article where it's like, all right, you can just buy this set on Blu-ray and <laughs> get it get it out of your system. Like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that 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 the picture though, the 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 little graphic on the front of the blu-ray dvd set the the refit enterprise going oh. through kind of like it's rainbowy sparkly sort of bursty look and then they've got the kelvin stuff underneath there which is also lovely but uh mm, that refit Isn't I gotta that say gorgeous? yeah still my favorite mm-hmm. still my favorite always will be but anyway yeah again i guess it's nice that you can get get them again but this does drive home for me like i have the entire original series on on uh, dvd and will eventually compile tng and ds9 for sure i'm still holding out the possibility that we might get a ds9 blu-ray though if they want to do some remastering wouldn't that be
2: lovely
1: I, i yeah star trek strange new worlds has been honored with a seal of authentic representation for bruce horrocks uh character hammer of course, there is a certain amount of disabilities that get um, acted out by people who don't necessarily always have those disabilities. And so I think that this is a really cool. Sort of piece. I'm just going to read a chunk of the article here that uh, the Ruderman Family Foundation is an advocacy group that focuses on the advancement of people with disabilities, and their Ruderman serial approval is awarded to television series and films featuring actors with disabilities in substantial speaking roles that show the commitment towards full inclusiveness in popular culture. I'll be honest with you, until I investigated this shortly into watching the first couple of episodes of Strange New Worlds, I didn 't know the actor himself was actually blind mm-hmm. um, and I think that's really awesome that you know we're 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 getting characters played with you know abilities and disabilities that are relative to the actors who are playing them and being represented that way. I'm always a big proponent of representation doesn't mean emancipation it doesn't mean. uh, You know that the oppressions that different people face when they have different types of disabilities like this, um, it isn't always representation that makes it better. But I see this kind of representation as a it sets a it sets a a a watermark that Mm. I am very very happy to see Star Trek once again right there on the cutting edge right? We have non-binary actors playing non-binary characters. We have blind actors playing blind characters, and they have speaking roles and personalities, and for Hammer, jeezum crow, why can't we have him for another? Why do they kill them off? Oh, like, I'm I glad know. they brought back Wilson Cruz, but they can't yada, 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 Hammer back. I just don't think that's possible. Yeah, <laughs>
2: so. I know. I It's funny because... I the side tangent, I guess, but um, reading an article about that character and how he was constructed from the beginning to be a character that they wanted to kill off because they wanted to examine that, you know, have you sit with a character for a while and then have that happen. And they just, they, they didn't anticipate him being so beloved. And how could you not with, with Bruce Horak's Portrayal. Authenticity, Yeah. his yeah, his authentic portrayal of of this great character. And uh actually shortly after Strange New World started, um I listened to an interview with Bruce Horak on CBC Radio here in Canada. Mm. Um uh, hey, represent, I'm wearing a CBC shirt. Weird. Uh. Um, but uh yeah, he's uh he's from Calgary, Alberta and uh so local CBC Radio was was interviewing him and he just sounds like the coolest guy and I mean I really really I selfishly really want to meet him at a convention I and just say to him how amazing that performance of that character was and how like he's not he's even not in a couple of the episodes leading up to his departure from the show but the shows he was in he made such an impact that he felt like such a huge part of that crew and it it was so heartbreaking when they ditched his character, I guess.
1: <laughs> and, you know, for that, I really think that there's a bit of a... And it's it's a diff- it's a completely different scenario. But for our kind of characters who... Or actors who might have played one character, I hope he kind of... I don't know. There's room for more blind characters. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, I don't know. He can play a character who can see. It doesn't matter. He Absolutely. can play that. <laughs> actors who, who do have um 100% vision they play blind people all the time. Yeah. So, you know, just do it the other way. Like, I mean, whatever. But Mm -hmm. also like, I think about like Ken Mitchell and stuff coming back. Absolutely. uh, A number of times in different roles and just crushing it every time. I mean, I don't know. Does Bruce have to go away? I mean, our Bruce doesn't necessarily go away. He'll come back. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: Yeah, no, and they have said, I, I think the official thing that was said was that Bruce Horak is not finished with Star Trek or- Star Trek is not finished with Bruce Horak. Something like that. They did say. So yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was thinking when they said that, like, oh, he'll show up on Strange New Worlds again as another character. And then I realized we've got four other shows too. So he could show up anywhere. That would be great. Sky's the limit. Would it be Hemmer's great, 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 whatever, however many times, 32nd century grandchild at some point. There you go. That'd be great. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Positively Trek would not be possible without the support of those of you who have gone to Patreon.com slash Positively Trek and signed up to become a Patreon supporter of the show. Thank you all so very much for your donations. They truly do help bring this show to you each week. Thank you especially to our Constitution Class supporters, Joyce Marin, Justin Ozer, Jim Stoffel, Jesse Earle, Dave Garcia, Rick Young... Paul D. Kinnear, and our associate producer for the month of October, Linda B. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get perks such as early access to episodes, ad-free versions of episodes, exclusive content, shout-outs, associate producer credits, and much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thank you all once again. And now, let's get back to the show so i think we can move on to our main
1: feature and that is the ghoulish and scary things that we have enjoyed in star trek or when we've been given a genuine scare by the show one way or another so um not to put you on the spot dan but what is the earliest scariest moment in star trek for you
2: okay well my earliest, scariest moment in Star Trek, actually, it works both for when I saw it and when it came out as far as Star Trek goes. And uh, I, I started watching Star Trek, the original series, obviously way after it had uh, it originally aired. This was reruns, obviously, given my age. Um, but the season one episode, Charlie X... And there is a moment in that episode that still kind of unnerves me because I remember how much it horrified me as a kid when there are some crew members who are laughing and Charlie Mm -hmm. Evans comes around the corner and says, stop laughing and does his little head shake thing and walks away. And you hear kind of muffled screaming and a woman comes around the corner with no face screaming from behind this whatever is covering her face and oh I I still it gives me shivers to this day that is a horrific moment for me you know
1: (laughs) that is actually that is actually a scary a scary moment that that does I saw it when I was I don't know in my 20s or something and and obviously effects from that time have sort of lost their luster but I also had an original series jump scare as well for myself, and that was mm. on the Corbin Night Maneuver when Balak was at first that scary alien mannequin. Oh, and yeah. And it was just looking at you through the screen. And I was in the basement at my grandma's, uh, my grandma and grandpa's house, and it was a semi-creepy basement. It actually wasn't as creepy as the basement I grew up in in my house, but it was still a semi-creepy basement. And, when it's talking like this, and it's <laughs> looking at you. <laughs> the first look, I was like, good, it scared the bejeebers out of me. Yeah. So. That would have been my first sort of youngest scared moment. But uh, as I got older, I found just the concept of the Borg to be the most terrifying. And Mm -hmm. it had to do, you know, like I've always had a bit of a zombie fascination, though I didn't quite totally get into the big walking dead sort of thing i'm more of a night of the living dead dawn of the dead kind of earlier um earlier stuff kind of person but i love the idea of like the space zombie right and they're they're kind of when they were first out, you didn't even know there was a queen or anything they were just this kind of unknowable menace and just the concept of them kind of lurking in the shadows of the galaxy always terrified me and just Mm -hmm. the thought that they are unflinching they have no remorse they don't have and you can't reason with them you can't do anything they are completely driven and they will not stop until you've been assimilated and then you just become part of that and uh, yeah it's nice and freaky I was, and the body horror of it too, right? The idea that your body is getting augmented and like literally cells are being replaced by these nanoprobes and all this sort of stuff. And you you lose your individuality therein. I think that's a, um, it's a remarkably scary concept. And I would have, I would have found it interesting to have been in the the writer room when, when the Borg was being hatched as a, uh, as a species. Yeah,
2: that's a really good one because that's something that touches something fundamental about, you know, the, the, the theft of autonomy, the theft of self and control over your own life and destiny. Right. So I, I think that that touches something very primal in our brains. And I want to ask what, what to you was like the, the prime example of the Borg striking fear in, in you like which what appearance of them would you say was the most terrifying
1: two moments and i have to say it's a tie and the first one is Riker commenting that they're being cut up like a like a thanksgiving turkey or something mm. like that they're in carving the very us up fr- like a roast yeah yeah they're carving it and that was the point is like i remember watching that episode and being like how, how do they get out of this? They're just literally just being divided and like segmented, right? In, it's that idea of like you're being pulled apart by wolves and you're still alive kind of feeling, mm-hmm. right? Like they are just completely methodical, thorough as all get out and they will rip you to pieces. The other one is from first contact and it was just a really great scene where as the Borg are getting shot by phasers and they've, they've invaded the enterprise E and that one Borg turns the corner, the first one in front of him drops and then he gets hit and you just see the phaser go around him. He is now, and there is no moment, like there's no register like, aha, you didn't get me. He just keeps walking that scene right there. I just really, it sticks in my head. Yeah, I think if you can visualize that one, absolutely. Yeah, when I find it, I'll jump around and point at it if we ever watch First Contact again.
2: <laughs> for sure, my moment that just my heart sinks and I feel dread about the Borg is in um, the Best of Both Worlds, Part One, when Picard is taken and he's on the Borg ship, and Picard's power has always been his oratory right his able his ability to give a speech and make some point that is is relevant and meaningful and he's standing in he's being held by two borg drones and he's standing in front of this chasm and it's it's a disembodied voice speaking to him where, he says, where the Borg say, you lead the strongest chip of the Federation fleet, you speak for your people. And he replies, I have nothing to say to you, and I will resist you with my last ounce of strength. Strength is irrelevant. Resistance is futile. Uh, your culture will adapt to service hours. And Picard counters with, impossible, my culture is based on freedom and self-determination. Freedom is irrelevant. Self-determination is irrelevant. You must comply. We would rather die. Death is irrelevant. I was just like, "Oh, that's horrifying to me." That just like, no matter what he says, the Borg is like, "That doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We yeah. don't even yeah. factor that into our calculations."
1: Bleeping and <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think you understand. Um, you know, it, there's a there's an analog, and this comes to the geeky childhood i had of the transformers the transformers original animated movie when megatron Mm -hmm. starts trying to bargain with unicron and unicron's like give me a break you tiny little peon like perhaps (laughs) i've misjudged you then continue on your way to oblivion like i will just i will end you right now Mm -hmm. um yeah there that that omnipotence that they that they that they seem to have i mean does get lost for the sake of storytelling over time. And I mean, I would say you know i Borg definitely softens the Borg a little bit, and then most of the late latter seasons of Voyager definitely humanize the Borg and even give them a species to be afraid of with a species well, i always I always <laughs> eight, get it
2: four up. seven two
1: and i was going to say 8571 <laughs> 847 yeah species 8472 which again is scary but i guess it just didn't quite land as much for me um their their spookiness as opposed to the borg and i think it might have just been age and you know whatever else but um yeah, no, the Borg will always hold a, a place in my heart for something that terrifies me. Yeah.
2: You know, it's funny. There's actually one moment in season seven of all things of Voyager where it's not even a Borg episode necessarily, but it's it's the final appearance of Q uh, before he shows up in Star Trek Picard where uh, his son has put Voyager in a situation with the Borg and stuff and Q shows up and snaps them away and rescues them. And he says to his son, and there's just something in his portrayal here, which is kind of played for laughs. But to me, there's like this undercurrent of something really scary there where he walks up to his son and he says, if the continuum has told you once, they've told you a thousand times, don't provoke the Borg. (laughs) And I'm like, are the Q kind of scared of the Borg? like that always just kind of sat with me a little bit and i'm like that felt a little real
1: <laughs> to some degree i mean um it again to re- analoging it to the matrix right when um and spoilers for a 20 year old movie um when agent <laughs> smith does his form of assimilating um the one really nice lady i forget who she was she's like the oracle or something mm, i think yeah anyways she was the really nice lady who baked cookies anyways. Um, and he, he takes her over and then he just like gets this look and he just starts like open mouth, like crazy laughing, like, (laughs) you know, and it's because he suddenly has so much more knowledge and ability. So I think very much the same with the Borg that if they assimilated a cue, a lot would become irrelevant in terms of resisting the Borg.
2: Oh man, I need to, uh, and I might've mentioned this in a previous episode But I would love to point you and our listeners to one of the short stories in a strange new worlds volume. That was before it was the TV show. It was the short story contest that came out yearly for a few years there. Um, and I, I can't remember which volume it's in. It might be eight, but somewhere around there. And it's called alpha and omega by Derek Tyler Attico and In that story, Q shows up on the bridge of the Enterprise-E, kind of bloodied and tattered and and in rough shape. And Picard's like, Q, what the hell is going on? And Q says, the Borg have begun to assimilate the continuum. And it's just, ooh, it's a great story. I don't want to give any more away after that, but uh, it's incredible. So, yeah. Terrifying.
1: So, in terms of that as well, I'm always brought back to um, the very first episode of voyager and that sort of abductive abduction scene mm. with harry kim yeah um again reminiscent of its time right that was sort of at the heyday of the x-files when those sort of like sidelong shots of a needle coming down into a person's belly button was sort of like something you saw a lot on nighttime television mm-hmm. um and so it definitely like caretaker has that that piece to it but that concept of of, again, taken against your will, abducted by some kind of higher intelligence that, you know, would have the same kind of machinations as, you know, biologists above a polar bear in a helicopter with a with a dart gun. But then also it could also be, you know, scientists from the 1800s, like the the Darwin, Charles Darwin's Beagle Expedition. You know what the one thing they don't tell you about, about the whole Beagle Expedition and going and seeing all the cool iguanas and finches and stuff and albatrosses hmm. is they ate. Every single one of the animals they came across. Yep. And, and that's a thing, too, that the aliens might do with us, too, is they'd show up and be like, I wonder what you taste like, and just bite your head off, you know? Like, yeah. there is that that fear of something, again, so incredibly advanced. Like, if if a kid is playing in a, a fish tank and pulls a fish out, it doesn't know that it's, like, threatening its existence. Mm-hmm. And it might be the same kind of thing where, you know, if you get taken by something, even if they are well-meaning
2: scientists, you might just be a specimen. And that's a scary thought. Absolutely. And, and Star Trek's played with that one a few times but uh yeah um harry kim his scream when that needle goes in i feel like and i i would love to be corroborated on this at some point i feel like garrett wong was hired on the strength of his scream like was that in the audition because that was an incredible scream
1: i would probably scream that loud if someone tried to put something on my belly belly button that's just a
2: yeah absolutely (laughs) Also something else you said, I I had heard this and I don't know the source on this, but there was something about the Galapagos Islands turtles, not making it into like a biology textbook for years and years and years, because apparently they were so delicious that (laughs) no ship could make it back to London and still have a surviving, like any of it left basically, which is horrific And I don't know if that's true, but that is something that I heard somewhere. What? Yeah.
1: They just couldn't resist. (laughs) It's like this type of turtle is like human catnip. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness.
2: We're pretty horrific ourselves sometimes. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we can be. I have one other piece that has always stuck in my head. And actually to this very day, I will fast forward it, is the transporter accident in the motion picture ooh yeah when they're like screaming weirdly and stuff like again you can tell where i go with the horror and the scary the body horror always is something that just just gets me and Mm. and it's it puts me in a very sort of ticklish position like i have sat through watching that that scene before with friends who've never seen the motion picture but my dude i gotta say you know one, if you're going to go, that's the worst possible way. Like yeah. they just came out like mush. Ugh, that's a scary thought. When, when, when technology fails you, right? Oh, thing yeah. you trust every single day to go from place to place, it's one of the safest forms of travel. Like obviously it's a play on air travel, but that's the point, right? When things mm-hmm. go wrong, they really go wrong. <laughs> anyway, I'll shut up about that.
2: But. No. Enterprise. What we got back didn't live long, Fortunately. Oh, shivers. Yep. And the
1: screams, those screams.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you on that one. When you were talking about outside forces using us as samples or or using us as as lab experiments kind of thing, uh, I was thinking of Nagilam from season two of TNG, that kind of big disembodied head that was wanting to perform experiments on the Enterprise crew, which was always a little bit scary, but has a bit of that season two kind of campiness to it. that you know, kind of negates that a little bit, but, uh, I think Voyager actually did that concept really well as well. There was an episode in season four fairly shortly after seven of nine came on board where there were, um, aliens that were somewhat out of phase with us, with our mm. crew that were performing experiments and Janeway was getting really irritable and, and yelling at everyone. And, uh, seven of nines thing got adjusted by the doctor so she could see them and she could see them inserting like probes into Janeway's head and all of the stuff that's going on around her that she can't let them know that she sees. And that was pretty terrifying. That was, that was a, a chilling episode. I thought.
1: Well, the idea of, That there, there's a, there's a level of helplessness there, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the problem with me not being a Voyager completionist. I don't have much more to say on this one because I haven't seen this episode, but
2: Mm, I'd recommend it.
1: (laughs) What you talk about always gets like, I I am promising myself that before Halloween, I'm going to watch Nope. Um,
2: ah, I so. want to see that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, let's let's see you and I make a plan for that then. We'll, That'd be great. Yeah. Just making plans on the podcast. Uh.
2: <laughs> oh, I, I should <laughs> say cool. just for our listeners as well. The Voyager episode is called uh, "Scientific Method." That's the name of the episode. Okay. So.
1: Yeah, I, I guess like in terms of the unseen. Right. I think that's another sort of thing that that there could be something interacting with you or interacting in your environment, but you're not able to see it. You're not able to register it, but it's able to register you Mm -hmm. is always kind of that that feeling of the other or maybe the feeling of being watched is always kind of that freaky, freaky thing you kind of get in basements and everything like that. But to be like readily aware of it. Um, that would be freaky. I guess I'm in a basement too right now, but my basement's actually wicked. I'm, I'm, I, I walk around here in the dark all the time. The only thing I worry about is stepping on toys.
2: Yeah, actually there's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a bit of a smashed Lego thing right beside me. So that's about oh, no. the scariest thing in the basement right now. Cause you don't want to step that's, on
1: that. That's deadly danger. You got to get that Lego off the floor. Something bad could happen.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Nope. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so I'd say like the last, like for me, kind of scary episode is the concept of losing, again, losing your mind. Like much like the Borg, you lose your individuality and sense of self and, and all of those things that we hold dear and kind of basically become like a bug um, in a cube. Uh, the other really big one was Identity Crisis, uh, a TNG episode, I believe from season three, where Geordi becomes one of those kind of wild people creature things that had really good blacklight Mm -hmm. makeup and (laughs) and just his his unfamiliarity and I mean kudos to LeVar Burton for his range but his unfamiliarity and almost kind of serpentine movement and and kind of how he changed altogether was always something that scared me too it 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 takes me back to the scene in Pinocchio way back in the cartoon um when the boys all turn into donkeys oh yeah and stuff and just that fear of again being morphed into something irreparably different forever. And that's sort of the worry and the fear that I got from from that episode watching Geordie the way he was.
2: Yeah, that's a really good one. I, I remember in that episode, especially the scene on the holodeck, for some reason, uh, that that really chilled me where he's reconstructing everything and there's a <sighs> shadow that he can't account for. There's something casting a shadow and ooh. Yeah. Like that, sh- yeah, exactly.
1: And again, it's that an unseen present. Yeah, the shadow that he's just like, I don't know what to do with this thing. And like, again, I don't want to get like too wooey with the positive. I don't know what our what our concepts on ghosts are here and stuff. But <laughs> speaking of As my long as parents- they're not
2: in candle form, we're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. No,
1: <laughs> none in candle form. No green mist, please. Uh, <laughs> my parents' basement had some- I, I can't say it anyway. It's had some weird crap go down in it, and there was a time when uh, I had a friend over. We were watching a movie, and things got weird enough that we had to evacuate the basement. Wow! And like it just things were getting too strange. There was anyway we'd gone upstairs, and then we found out that somehow the basement bathroom faucet had been turned on full blast and again neither of us had gone to the bathroom um, or had been in there at all and like I had a cat at the time um, but it was one of those old faucets that you had to like grab onto and pull towards you to make them go Mm -hmm. so like thumbs are essential to turning that thing on a cat can't do that and so i went back down into the basement through the the main part and into the laundry room across to the bathroom shut this thing off and like i felt like i was walking through oatmeal like it was just such a weird feeling down there and so i started like speed walking back up the stairs and then the little defiant streak in me stopped and I stopped on the stairway and I just turned and looked and in the basement next to the chair uh, where I'd been watching the show was I would say like a good six foot five, maybe six um, verging on seven feet tall, dark, black, blacker than black being standing there slender figure um, kind of in like a. I was walking, but now you're in my way, like, now you've spotted me walking kind of stance. Like, oh, I'm mid stride. And like, you've caught me walking after you. And I remember just shouting to my friend, get out the front door, get out, get out, get out. There's someone in the basement. And we got out of there. It, I don't know, man. Like, I, like, I do not rule out hallucination. Like. Definitely. Mm. I was, I was amped. I was freaked out as it was. Maybe I saw something and, you know, now, you know, this was over a decade ago. And so obviously memories are constructions at this point. So who fully knows what happened in that moment really, but the way I remember it, it was that, it was that being that Jordy saw in the holodeck.
2: Oh man. Okay. Yeah. The hairs on the back of my neck are are standing (laughs) right up. Uh, There's a ghost story for y'all. Yeah. Excellent. Happy Halloween, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's, uh, that's terrifying. One thing that's popped out to me while we've been discussing this is that the episodes of Star Trek that are set up to be the scary Halloween episodes aren't the ones we're bringing up on our list, which is interesting to me. Like the original series episode Cat's Paw, right? With witches and and Halloween tropes, like... Didn't particularly scare us. The Voyager episode that I can think of off the top of my head, which is called the haunting of deck 12. Oh, yeah. um, where Neelix is telling the kids this kind of ghost story. There's some moments in it that are a little bit scary, but like as a, an episode as a whole, I don't think of it as particularly scary. I guess the one thing I would pull from that episode was the, the entity that's inside Voyager was speaking through Major Barrett's computer voice and there's one point where it's trying to take over the ship, and Janeway says something like, uh, "You'll have to kill me first and you hear Major Barrett's voice acknowledged and the air starts <laughs> es- escaping from the room. That was a bit of a freaky moment, but that was generally funny. speaking like not what I would consider a, a terrifying episode.
1: I think you're absolutely right in the sense that Star Trek is at its best when it's not trying it it just is doing mm-hmm. and it's it's horror is not the same as the horrors you'd get from, you know, Alien or Event Horizon or, you know, a million other like monster flicks and stuff like that that are out there. Star Trek horror, Star Trek spooky, scary stuff is always going to be psychological. It's always going to get in your head. It's always going to put you in these kind of existential crises and make you, you know, question what's morally good or bad or all of these sorts of things Or like, it'll be relatable too, right? Like, some people balk at at Picard's you know hatred of the Borg in First Contact and stuff, and he wasn't quite the same. But like, post traumatic stress doesn't work in a straight line. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, he he could feel good about something one day, and then you know over time, obviously things start to affect him more negatively and, and whatnot. So I do I do really much agree with you in the sense that Star Trek is at its best and at its scariest when it's giving us what it can do inside of its universe that it's created. It has to get in your head. It can't just be a jump scare or something. It's got to be something more.
2: Absolutely. And and no, you know, green sex candle ghosts. That doesn't scare anybody. <laughs> <laughs> At least not in the way that we want, want to be scared, I guess. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It scares you in the sense that, I don't know, it scares you in the way that you're like, wow, the writers were like, this is the perfect, perfect idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we're going with this one, huh? Okay. Yeah, okay. That's, uh, that's a scary moment.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up for uh, for this week's conversation. We've got some interesting ones coming down the pipe for you all. We've got some uh, episodes in the works that I'm quite excited to uh, get underway. And uh, I promise, and I'm making myself a, a post-Halloween resolution that I'm going to be more on just the Positively Trek Facebook page itself. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, uh, non-binary friends, For the love of goodness, I am just not a social media guy, (laughs) and I'm doing my absolute best, but I do want to spend more time chatting with you all because everywhere else on social media, other than Star Trek places and other mild positive places, there's not a lot of happy out there. So it's nice to to have the crowd, even just to read, read posts and stuff. It's nice to see people in good moods talking about good things.
2: Definitely. Yeah. And, and we do have a good crowd there, a good group that uh, generally is pretty wonderful. You know, if you want to join the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook, you just have to answer some questions and agree to the rules. And uh, it's a very welcoming, welcoming crowd. So
1: lovely human beings, all. Well, with that, I think we will bid you farewell for the week. This is Barry DeFord signing off for Positively Trek with uh, Mr. Dan Gunther.
2: Absolutely. And we'll see you again in uh, our next episode. So happy Halloween and uh, live long and prosper and, and, you know let's see some great Star Trek costumes out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would be cool. If, if there are people in, in the positively Trek group who are planning on trekking out their, uh, their costume, actually, you know what, whatever, if you want to even just show, like, if you've got a costume you're proud of and you want to show it off, I would love to see it. I will be in my 1960s TOS season three, Captain Kirk captain's outfit, because like I said, I paid good money for it. So (laughs) I'm going to wear it. (laughs) All right. Well, with that, thank you very much everyone for listening and Whoa, sorry, I just had a cat jump on me. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening and stay positive.